0: Hello and welcome to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs, and today on the show we have Walter Duncan, co-founder of QuickKey. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Walter Duncan. He's the co-founder of QuickKey. And he's a former teacher, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about education and the future of education. So, Walter, we've talked um, previously when you were first launching this uh, this project. And from what I understood way back when, it was kind of like a replacement to Scantron or a replacement for uh, for teachers to uh, to record the their grades and things. Can you describe what you're working on?
1: Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, initially it was to give teachers the ability to get the results from a paper-based classroom Mm -hmm. using any of their mobile device and make those results digital to be able to look at what their kids know and what they don't know. Uh, Yes, in some way, it's a replacement for Scantron. In some way, it's a way for districts to find a secure solution to the heavy-duty amount of paper scanning that they have to do. I mean, as much as we see an all-digital future, uh, there are laws uh, in terms of individual needs for students who have individual education plans that will always require them to use paper. Mm -hmm. But also worldwide, still, 95% of the world is on paper. And what they need is that bridge to get to digital, right? Because what it's about is having a picture of what your students know right now, so that you can use that to get them to where they need to go. So that's really what Quick Key is all about. And uh, and we're excited about being a part of the present of education. We have enterprise customers like Teach for America and others who we work closely with and use our technology. But we have our eyes to the future because education itself is undergoing a massive shift. It's becoming something different. It's, it is it is becoming something that it's never been before. Mm-hmm. We're all witnessing it, it's happening, and it's important to make sure that we're, we're seeing the forest, not just the tree in front of us, right? Okay. Uh, and uh, so I was hoping I, I would be able to share a little bit of my thoughts of what I'm seeing from the teacher perspective uh, with you and with your listeners.
0: Sure, because it's, I mean, for me, it's getting, it's almost frustrating, I think. Everything, everything in tech changes so quickly, and consistently, um, consistently, education hasn't changed, right? So mm-hmm. it's we're in a we're in a position where my kids are going to school. They're learning on computers. They have computers in front of them. They know how to use them. My son is my son is sort of a digital native, I guess you could say. Um, but that said, we're in a situation where they're still using paper, where they're still doing making lots of copies, where it's not dead simple for us to figure out what he's doing in school, uh, even though it should be right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so here's, here's in my opinion, what the shift is. Yes. And it's, it's uneven John, right? Like even where you are, if I'm correct, you all are in Brooklyn. I mm-hmm. used to, by the way, live in uh Ditmas park up off of Cortellio road. I used to have wonderful dinners at the farm on Adderley, which is on Cortellio and uh, had a great time in, in Brooklyn. Um, but, but here's the thing. It's not unified, right? So what's happening in some co- schools in some states is more advanced than what's happening in other places. And definitely the gap between those who have and those, uh, those communities whose tax base makes their schools able to afford more versus those other communities where they can't afford. That gap is widening even as tech progresses. Mm-hmm. But, but there is really a bright future here, John. It's actually gonna be all right. It's actually not gonna be brave <laughs> the world. Okay. It's actually gonna be all right. Here's why: the job of the teacher in the past was this cloistered, a, a long, long time ago. Right? Just use your imagination with me. This cloistered academic who has gathered all of the knowledge and is in possession of the knowledge, and if the student doesn't get the knowledge from that teacher, there's nowhere else to go, right? They have to get this knowledge from the teacher so the teacher gives it in lectures, writes it on the board, and the students furiously write down all of the notes to get this key information to understand the content of something, right? Because there's one person in possession of that content who's had the privilege and the access to master and learn that content, right? But now that content is everywhere. There is no holder of it. It's accessible on the cheapest of mobile devices. Mm-hmm. Right? That is that is such a huge revolution in access to knowledge and power to the average person. Because knowing how to do something or knowing the content of stuff makes it possible for anyone to do anything if they apply hard work, dedication, and evolve at it over time. Right? Mm-hmm. So So this teacher now has changed from the holder of knowledge who gives it to a Sherpa. And it becomes about, and this is in in regards to content and content only, it becomes about guiding students on the journey of discovery of their ability to find content and vet content, what is good, what is bad, um, and use it to gain understanding of new things.
0: aren't we, a now, little, aren't we afraid of using that word content? For, for me, content means stuff. So are we saying that because of this because of this uh, the, the rise of stuff, the rise of information, um, the, we have to create children who can understand stuff and come to figure out the good stuff and the bad stuff?
1: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm saying that's what we, what, what teachers as Sherpas must do. In the end, the Archduke in, uh, what was it, Serbia? Uh, you know, the shooting of the assassination of the Archduke caused the First World War, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that, that's what it was. Uh, there may be some other uh, narratives around it that a person can look and synthesize, but the students can find that information anywhere. They don't have to just get it from the teacher anymore. And so the job as the teacher is to guide them to those resources and help them take those resources and synthesize them into what is the highest quality. Right. So in that sense, it is content and stuff. The other side of it is skills. And that is that is something that is different where I think technology also plays a big role. Um, but with skills, we're not sherping the students to, to discover something we're you know one plus one is two and they practice the skill of addition until they've mastered it right um and so technology allows us different ways to have children practice that skill uh as opposed to the traditional memorization or just you know repeating or writing on the board or writing on the table does that make sense
0: I think so. I wanna I wanna go a little bit deeper into that because I think I think a lot of people don't understand where education generally is heading. What does the classroom or the future look like? Is there a classroom? And what does it mean when there is no longer a place or when that place changes so so intensely that it's no longer recognizable to, to old folks like us, right? So we're we're in a we're entering into a world where we won't recognize education and we're going to we're going to the first generation that gets into that world is going to be happy but the old folks are going to say this isn't I remember back in our day we had to do uh, what you call it multiplication tables and when the robot does multiplication for you why do you need those etc cetera, etc cetera. so describe to me what a a classroom 20 years in the future looks like
1: well, that's, I mean, I think if, I'd, if I knew perfectly, mm-hmm. uh, I'd probably be richer than I am now. But uh, <laughs> let's just talk about what is, what, why is the classroom important, right? Why do mm-hmm. have one? Uh, in one sense, it's a common space where a, a cohort of children can be in community with each other, right? And where there can be a leader of that uh, cohort, a teacher, and where there are other cohorts around those children right so there's grades above you there's grades behind you all of that is important not just for learning information but also for developing as a young human being you know through your stages of development till you're an adult right like all of that being surrounded in that is is all a part uh, of of education though it's not something that's hard data that's measured Mm -hmm. that community classroom uh sort of the place of learning uh, I like to think of it like a like a star nursery, if you will. Uh, so w- when we talk about it uh, happening virtually, for example, essentially with Google cardboard and a good Android phone, uh, children all over the world could come into one unified classroom right and do their learning there uh, and and never leave their home or never leave the place uh, where they're located um and that, you know, that is, is possible, but we do have to think about what could be lost by learning in those virtual spaces. What human capacities, what human connections. Socialization.
0: Um, yeah, Old Man Grumpus in me says that's awful. And like, I, I, this is supposed to be, the, this is supposed to be the, uh, the podcast about a better future. And for me, having, having putting my son in front on a, with a Google, Google Cardboard and an Android phone, a, we'd never put let an Android phone into the house, and B, uh, I can't imagine because I can't imagine what kind of kid you would get. I I would suspect you might even get a situation where it's where you get a sociopath essentially, which is just really frightening.
1: It is. It is kind of frightening. But think of our privilege, right? We we probably will would never have to put our kids in that situation. Sure. But if we, you know, if the if the other opportunity is you know, uh, physically dangerous environment. Um, if the, the the other option is, uh, you know, if the other option is unsafe and toxic, mm-hmm. or imagine 20, 30 years in the future, right? Uh, then, you know, then then potentially having it happen virtually um, from a place of safety could be the reality for folks without that privilege. I mean,
0: so it's a so it's a it's a generation of socialization uh, haves and have nots.
1: It is John, but it's it's tough because there is something really good about that too, right? So, this virtual reality thing you mentioned—never let an Android phone in your house. Um, I wish Apple would have, instead of doing a watch, would have done virtual reality because mm-hmm. I don't need another smaller iPhone. But I do need virtual reality, and their design is just better than everyone else's.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, let, let, uh, I would I would argue that they're waiting. This is you—you you got me wild up on this one. Usually, I let usually I let people just uh, just say what they think, and then, and then and then it's usually just me grunting occasionally during these podcasts. But this, but education is actually pretty important to me. So, in terms of Apple's Apple's uh, VR design, they're not going to have a VR design until until it makes the perfect sense until it's as as light and, and soft as like a pair of glasses. So that's yes, that's what I mean. So just so just just wait a couple more years I suspect. And then and then eventually we're going to have direct direct brain contact. So I, I always I always say this over and over again but I but I want to I want to plug something right into my head. Uh, which is going to happen. So that said Okay, so we so we, so I, I can understand that we I'm we're coming from a place of privilege. We're we're coming from a place where there can be a big building that is completely safe uh, ostensibly safe, let's say, uh, all things being equal, that has that has paid teachers that care about the children, where they're not eating lead, lead paint chips that often, and they have clean water and they have books and they have everything that they need. And if you're in a situation where you don't have any of that to the degree that you, you're barely even allowed out of the house alone, let alone to a school, uh, which is the situation in some countries, then yes, absolutely, VR and, a, and an Android phone and, a, and Google Glass is, is, is more than sufficient. And I could also yes. imagine a situation where, where a girl in Afghanistan who can't leave the house can right. join a classroom in Brooklyn and talk to everybody. At the Waldorf school. Mm-hmm.
1: At the Brooklyn Waldorf school.
0: Yeah, that would be amazing.
1: <laughs> uh, John, I want to add one piece to that, though. Because we, we do have to ground this like in the reality of now. Mm-hmm. Let's just look at Chicago Okay, they call it Chirac for a reason mm-hmm. Chirac came out of crashing down all of those old projects where people were Concentrated in relationship with each other and the people got redistrib- re- redistributed across these different neighborhoods so now children are having to cross through areas on foot Um, to get to their schools, and there's conflict in that journey from home to school, right? So bad that as a general rule, you'll see kids walking in the street home and not on the sidewalk so as to avoid conflict with people in the front of their houses, right? Mm -hmm. It's really bad. So we don't even have to imagine a dystopian future where the air is unbreathable and the child has to sit in their room. We can just go to to Chicago right now and Mm -hmm. say, How many children do we have who are more worried about their safety than they are about their learning because of the journey they have to take from home to school and all that that means every single day? And if we if they could attend that school uh, safely from where they are right now, what kind of uh, improvements and achievement would we see? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's there there are some some nuances there uh, and. and it's just important to note. I mean, that's a real thing uh, that is that we're facing right now. Okay. And that's unacceptable in a first world country, by the way. Yeah, but,
0: it's absolutely unacceptable. So how do we? So how do we save that? How do we? How do we help those kids?
1: Well, I, I you know, I think one one thing that's very important, John, is it's important not to say how do we help those kids. Mm-hmm. It's important for us to say how do we help ourselves. All kids. Yep. No, ourselves, our future, because each one of those children no matter where they're born genius knows no zip code genius is not it has no wealth or place that it's born into and so every time we lose young people because we haven't made a society that can catch their gifts for the good of all. We lose a potential Elon Musk. We lose an Einstein. Those talents get applied to something else that doesn't move the world forward. And all of us need the the world to move forward in order that that future uh, that you talk about, this technotopia, this future that is better than the, the scary one, in order for that to take place, right? So when we do not catch these young people and give them the opportunity, we all lose out. So the question for me is not what do we do for them, it's what do we do for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the first thing is to, uh, to, to care and be aware. I mean, I think we all feel when we talk about those kids in Chicago, we feel like there's nothing we can do. But I'm not sure that that's true. I think that's a learned helplessness. You know, the, um, we, we do know the problems. We just don't, we don't put money in the right places and, and fix it. Uh, I didn't, I didn't mean to get off task and be no, on no. a sad, like, what's wrong with Chicago? <laughs> Education, man. It's going to be awesome. Well, so, so,
0: I mean, so, so let's, let's go back. Let's go back to that. So the idea of that, the idea of that we need to, we need to start working at home, right? So we need to solve, we need to solve the problems at home. So we look at Chicago, for example, and we say to ourselves, um, we say to ourselves, "What does a schoolroom in Chicago look like in in ten years? Are those kids who have to walk down the middle of the street has is is the is are things getting better generally in chicago and I would argue that the segregation there is so strong and so ingrained that i 'm not sure how long it's going to take it's real we, we were just there this this uh, this summer and it 's actually really frustrating um, but like all things, uh, hipsters and hipster-esque <laughs> <laughs> cafes and croissants, which is kind of like our baseline for an acceptable an acceptable situation, are coming everywhere. They, they come even to the worst neighborhoods, and 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 the worst neighborhoods aren't bad because because in general they're bad because nobody wants to go there. It's dark at night, and nobody's around, and you feel you feel unsafe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's opportunities, uh, let's say, for crime and for mischief and, and whatever else. Uh, whereas if you do have a place that sells all-night craft beer and, uh, and special hamburgers with ramen noodle buns, you turn it into a different place. And obviously that, that won't always change. That won't always change a neighborhood. But if there's a general acceptance of this croissant and cafe culture that exists uniformly throughout a city, can we fix a city that way?
1: Well, we can't. So we do have an example, right? Mm -hmm. We can change a city that way. I don't know that we say we fix it. Because obviously what you described is what's happening in Detroit, the town that I grew up in, right? So it actually has been croissanted and cafe. In fact, just recently I saw people riding on longboards. Uh, And it's safe. (laughs) In the in the street downtown, I was like, "Do they know where they are? <coughs> Don't you know this is grashing?
0: Well, uh, well, remember, remember, uh, remember, Detroit is Detroit is now safe because there's nobody there. It's like exactly. it's like you're as you're about as safe as you would be in an empty room. But but as but as far as and and this is this the the of Detroit is actually really important because that's where things are headed. That's where I believe things are headed because if you if you can if you can repopulate an urban area. With an, entire, with an entire new uh, type of person, a, a younger person, uh, an immigrant, a, a person who's actually going to care about the location where they live and actually want to make it better, then you've got a winner on your hands. You're actually, you're actually solving, solving a fairly big problem.
1: Yes and no, John, but also there are those people who are who have always been there in Detroit, mm-hmm. right? And what's happening to them is they're being priced out and, and pushed out. And they kind of get pushed out into these, not townships, but they get pushed out uh, far enough away from the uh, the croissant zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the croissant zone is policed, and so there's no threat to the new folks there. But those outer areas, uh, the new townships, they don't get the services from the city that they need. They don't get the policing. They don't get the fire. Um, and the children don't get the education. So that group of children is still moved, and it does not solve the problem of losing future genius for the world, right? Kids are still being born there. They're still being overlooked. And I think that that does bring us back a little bit to this You know, this two faces of the technological future that we talk about one i don't want my kid roboted up mm-hmm. versus this technology can help children who don't have the access of affluent families or even just middle class families who don't have the access to learning whether they be a girl in afghanistan or a kid in uh, i'll give a i'll point out a neighborhood in detroit that's real that that it highlights this a kid who's born in highland park Mm-hmm. just doesn't you know he's on he's on florence which is a specific street <laughs> between woodward and second and what's going on on florence and woodward and second is really really crazy if you you google that google map it mm-hmm. it's nuts. his opportunity um, so for affluent families we wouldn't want our kids wired like that but for him the opportunity to join with a global classroom uh, talk to you know Robert J Smith the head of Vista capital in a virtual meeting where he talks to young children around the globe about how they can change the world through technology that could potentially be life-changing for him mm-hmm. so it's this it's this two-sided coin right like for me personally I don't even I, I when I uh, when I started my career in education, one of the places I taught was a Waldorf school, mm-hmm. and I mentioned the Brooklyn Waldorf school, which is a great community, um, and they really encourage the children to be as unwired as possible, sure, to learn physically with their fingers and hands and touch as much as possible, and then when it is time for them to begin to interact with technology, what we're seeing, especially in the Waldorf schools out in Silicon Valley is that they are having the children interact with the technology as makers. They're learning to code. They're learning to create. They're not interacting with the technology as consumers learning to touch a button and buy, click a pop-up, right? They're really learning to what I like to call be the new magicians. Mm -hmm. Because if we break down If we really break down deeply what is happening with technology, we are seeing that there is a class of people who are writing a language, if you will. They're writing runes, right? An alphabet. They're writing a language of logic. And where are they writing it? They're writing it into silicon. That's stone. So in a sense, these new magicians are imprinting runes onto stone, and it is shaping up future beyond magical imagination, Mm -hmm. We can build anything with language in stone. And so the affluent or those at the Waldorf schools or or our children that we don't want plugged in are learning to make and create and write the magic of the future. And this kind of other, uh, everyone else is learning to consume that. Um, It's, it's just a really a two-faced, a two-faced coin here uh, that has you know the conversation is so open, John. Mm-hmm. There's so much still to be discovered, and, and I don't think any of us have a solid, a sound bite answer for it.
0: All right. Well, at least at least we're working towards it, right? Yes,
1: sir. All
0: right. So why don't you tell people where folks can uh, can look up QuickKey and uh, and give it a try if they're teachers?
1: Oh yeah, you got me all riled up. I know.
0: I feel I feel it. I feel it. This is this is a this is an important topic, and I think it's. I think we'll maybe we'll bring you on again, and we'll uh, we'll keep going down this this rabbit hole.
1: I can be found uh, on Twitter at four underscore teachers and QuickKey can be found at get.quickkeyapp.com. A real simple way of thinking about QuickKey is it lets you take any mobile device within a district and uh, you can uh, replace your Scantron expenses and use it to grade paper assessments, but you can also use it to give one-to-one assessments over Chromebooks or on student devices. Uh, We've got a lot of exciting things coming in the future, including uh, capturing artifacts uh, and student work and and really using mobile technology to make education accessible to children no matter what their zip code is. Um, We say our teachers and districts, they teach big and uh, we go about the business of getting their back and making it easy and making it possible. Mm -hmm. All right, super.
0: Thank you very much, Walter Duncan from Key. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you, John.